I'm, I'm, I don't tend to be a really patient person. Um, I've learned a little bit. I remember in the fifth grade, uh, it was very popular uh, to, in, at birthday parties. I had a birthday party for my fifth birthday. Uh, no, let's see, this would be my, this in the fifth grade, it'd be my 11th birthday. And uh, fifth grade. And um, it, was, it was common to give those little plastic models in boxes, you know, with like 100 pieces and, and a stick of glue. And you put these things together from these complicated instructions and tear off each piece and, and put them in. And so I think I got four or five of them for my uh, birthday. Maybe uh, I think one was a ship and an airplane and a couple of cars or something else. And I had them all worked in 24 hours. I didn't paint any of them. I didn't clean any of them. I just, as fast as I could, stuck them together. And then I thought about that afterwards and looked at it and thought how much fun it might have been if I had taken my time, but I didn't. I didn't have lots of patience. I, I, um, I know uh, there are many times when I'll be working with other people and I really want to get the job done. And somebody's kind of struggling with their job, and my tendency was to just grab whatever they're doing and do it for them to get it done, rather than taking the time to help them figure out how to do it. And for them to grow through it, I just had to get it done. Or other times when something's happening, that coming, coming up, like, like uh, preaching this morning or something else, and I get real anxious about it, you know? And so I, I just, uh, because I'm, I'm, uh, and, and, uh, I'm not patient uh, just to, to kind of let the process work itself out and come to its own end, and, um, and so, I'm not always patient. Patience is a strange sort of thing, isn't it? That in order to be patient, you have to be in a situation that requires patience, right? It just doesn't happen. It doesn't just like float out there in the atmosphere sometime. It's not just something you think, but it's, a, it's actually a, a part of life. Uh, that's why sometimes people say, don't ever pray for patience, I think you should, but some people say, don't ever pray for patience. The only way to get patience is for the Lord then to put you in a situation where you have to be patient, okay? It, it's, like, it's like a muscle. You know, for our muscles to get stronger and grow, we have to exercise them. And for patience to get stronger and grow, we have to exercise patience, which means being in those situations uh, that required. And there are lots of things that, 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 that test us. As, as James is talking about, probably difficult, difficult situations that really test us. Uh, for instance, a, a friend that you, that you might uh, help out from time to time, and then uh, when you ask that friend for help, they always have some excuse and never help you, and it just kind of happens time and again. Kind of frustrating. Or, or maybe uh, you just bought a new car and, and, you, and you're smiling all the way from the dealership home, you know. And halfway there, somebody runs a, a stop sign and hits the car and it's never going to be new. It's never going to be the same again. You haven't even gotten home. Maybe more seriously, uh, your spouse one day says, I'm no longer in love and I want my freedom. Or maybe you get a call in the middle of the night and your child's been in a serious accident and you find out that their blood alcohol level is twice the, the normal limit. And you could, you could go on. Maybe your company's downsized and you don't lose your job, but you pick up somebody else's job and still get paid the same amount of money doing two different jobs. Um, your, your neighbor, maybe, just a kind of annoyance, begins parking uh, his or her automobile in their front yard and uh, starts digging a trench, you know, in the yard. And what you come find out is that half the car was on your yard and one of the trenches belongs to you. I mean, there's lots of different things, right? And they come at us. Some of them very serious, some of them not so serious, but they test us. And, uh, and so sometimes we experience hurt, we experience pain, 
Sometimes we're mistreated. Sometimes there are misunderstandings between us and other people. And it leads to conflict. And it really tries our, our patience. And so once in a while, well, often, uh, we, have to, we feel like we have to get back. Get back to whoever did it. We have to get even, an eye for an eye, so to speak. Uh, we sometimes just can't contain ourselves and we lash out. Other times we just have to make it right. We have to set it straight. We have to say what has to be said, do what has to be done for us to make it right. And so, um, and, and, and in the midst of it, we have a tendency to then hold a grudge until we feel like we've made it right, which we never quite feel. We begin to complain, perhaps, and even ourselves begin to say and do things that aren't right. And we can even lower ourselves then to be like the same level as a person who has hurt us. We become just like them, hurting in return. And James is concerned about that. He's been concerned all the way through the book of James about uh, living a life that honors the Lord, being followers of Jesus Christ, and what that means. And in the midst of that, he has been concerned about the well-being of those uh, who are followers of Jesus, about uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the attitude of our own hearts, uh, about our own sense of peace and well-being. Uh, he's uh, concerned about the relationship we have with other people, particularly the people of God, uh, how we relate to people of God. I, I'd have to say, uh, uh, as, as much as I wish it weren't true, that some of the difficult situations we go through are within the fellowship of believers. We have difficulties with each other. We're all human, and that humanity comes out from time to time. James is also concerned about our witness, uh, our witness to the greater community around us about the gospel, about Jesus Christ, about the hope that he alone can give. And uh, if we're struggling with that hope, uh, then our witness w w will be a struggle as well. So in James chapter 5, James begins to, to talk about that, to talk about, uh, to give some answers. Uh, James chapter 5, begins verse 7, about uh, the, the kind of economic and social and emotional and spiritual pain that we go through. And, uh, and, and the humanity that we share and, and the clashes of that humanity. And, and he begins to talk to us and gives us four uh, clear commands. Uh, two of them are very positive commands and two are prohibitions. And so he says in, in, in James 5, chapter, uh, ch chapter 5, verse 7, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. It's a kind of long time perhaps, maybe tomorrow. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, you notice how he repeats brothers and sisters over and over again. Do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. 
He says, first of all, to be patient. That's one of the positive commands, be patient. That's the one that's so difficult. It comes from two different words in the Greek uh, that are put together. And, and one kind of means long, and the other uh, comes from the word for passion, and passion that can become anger. And so it means long anger, long passion, uh, sometimes translated uh, actually long-tempered. Now, it doesn't mean that our anger should be long. It means it should be a long time before the anger sets in. That's the idea, to be long-tempered, to hold your good temper for as long as possible. There are times perhaps when we need to be angry, but those would be the exceptions uh, as James is talking about it. And he gives the example of the farmer. In Palestine of James' day, it was, uh, they, they farmed mostly in the flatlands and that was dry and crusty soil. They had a very distinct dry season, a very distinct wet season. And so they had to begin planting their crops in that dry, crusty soil in the dry season before the fall rains would come, late in October, early November, some time like that. And they had to plant those crops long before that rain would come in hope that it would be there. They had to be in the ground before the rain, sometime before the rain, uh, to begin the process. And so the farmer would put the put the seeds in the ground, the crops in the ground, and wait for the rain, and uh, have to wait for the mystery of the rain to them and patiently, um, uh, uh, because if the rain didn't come, the crops would start growing. They could lose the farm. They could lose their livelihood. They couldn't take care of their family. They were dependent upon those rains. And then as the crops began to grow, there would be spring rain just before harvest, maybe in late April, early May. And that then uh, gave them a boost so that they got a good harvest. So again, during the whole time, they have to wait for that spring rain to come. Otherwise, the, the crops look kind of uh, uh, just a scrawny until and, and, and that rain comes. And then when, that, when those spring rains come, then the crops could really grow. And so they, they would have to, they would depend upon the rains for the crops. And they, and they had to trust that those rains were going to come. They would plant their crops in faith that that rain would come. They couldn't wait for the rains first and then uh, began to plant. And that can lead to discouragement, uh, even some despair uh, for them and for us, even very moody behaviors once in a while for some of us when we have to wait for something uh, that we need and it's not there at the moment. They had to trust the rains would come and live as if the rains were going to be there even when they weren't. James hints that there is something true about that for us, that in all our tough situations, there is a certain mystery about how the Lord will be working in that situation. We don't know for sure, like the rain that the farmer had to wait patiently for. We have to wait patiently for the Lord to see his working in the midst of certain things. Um, if we simply concentrate on the situation, we will become discouraged uh, and maybe even angry and everything else. But uh, if, we will, if we will wait upon the Lord and trust in him, then the Lord will bring hope to the situation. And the Lord is mysterious, just like the rain to them. And we don't always know exactly what, uh, when the Lord will come and, and what his coming will mean. But we're to be patient waiting for him. And he adds to being patient to stand firm. Uh, uh, th this, this adds to the, to the patience. And it means, the word basically means uh, strength to support something that needs support. And, and, and the hint in the word is it's our hearts that need to stand firm, that need to be strengthened. Uh, uh, to, to, uh, and it's not a passive word, as if to just endure, we're talking about endurance in a moment. It's not a passive word, it's a very active word. And, uh, and it means standing firm 
um, uh, in, in, in action, uh, not just sitting aside waiting. As we, as we look at this, this requires a true sense of God's presence also. Not as theology, not simply as theory, and not simply just words of a song. Uh, but, but the encouragement that comes from, from touching the heart of God, knowing the heart of God, hearing the heart of God speak to our own hearts. Uh, that's what enables us to stand firm. That's what uh, uh, strengthens our own heart and, 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 and enables us to, to, to meet those situations. Uh, to be able to call upon him uh, and, and keep our eyes not upon uh, ourselves, uh, but our eyes uh, upon, upon the Lord. And so he says to stand firm. He gives the example of the prophets here, and particularly Jeremiah is the one I think about. And Jer- Jeremiah was called by the Lord when he was young, perhaps in his late teens. Uh, he felt very inadequate for the job that God called him to, but God said, don't uh, don't worry about it, I'll, I'll take care of you. So he goes out and he begins to minister, and as he's ministering, he's beaten. He's speaking the word of the Lord. He wonders how in the world would God's own people beat a prophet trying to speak God's word to them. He was put in prison. He was put in stocks one time. Those are big, uh, ugly uh, wooden things with three holes in them, one big hole for your neck and two holes for your hands, and you would be imprisoned in it. You couldn't move, couldn't get away, and they would put them in public places where people would be going by, and they would uh, criticize, jeer, make fun of, and maybe even throw stuff on the people that were locked up in the stocks. So here's Jeremiah, the prophet of God, trying to speak the word of God, and everybody's making fun of him, and he's taking it. And then finally, they threw him in a well, left him for dead. Uh, He accidentally got out. Well, I'll say accidentally. It wasn't an accident, was it? But just the same. Uh, He he got out of the well, and he survived, but he would have died if he hadn't. And finally, he's drug off to Egypt. When when Jerusalem falls to the Babylonians, he wants to stay with his people. He loves them, and he cares for them. But uh, but a, uh, a cowardly king makes Jeremiah go with him because to him, at this point at least, he was a symbol of God's presence, and, and uh, so he wanted to take uh, God's presence with him. So he, he forced him to go. So Jeremiah, in all of this, uh, uh, his encouragement is not the situation. He's not encouraged by being beaten. He's not encouraged by putting stocks. He's not encouraged by being in prison. He's not encouraged by being thrown down a well and left for dead. He's not encouraged by being drug off to, a, to, a, to another land. Uh, he, he's encouraged because he remembers the call of God in his ears and his heart that God is the one who's called him to this and that he is called as part of a greater mission of God that began with Abraham and now Jeremiah is still a part of that in which God is redeeming his whole creation. He can't put all the pieces together and he does uh, uh, ask God about that once or twice. He can't put all the pieces together, but he trusts God because of who God is and he trusts that he is part of that mission, a greater mission than himself. He himself, he looks at and he wonders how in the world but he thinks about the greater mission of God and, 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 and God is using him for something greater and that helps him to stand firm uh, to make it. And so we're to be patient, we're to stand firm. And then he says there are a couple of things we need to do in the midst of that and one of them is not grumble. Um, th- this is a challenging one for all of us. We can kind of like do a, lo- a low-level groaning just to ourselves that nobody else hears. We just say the kind of words to ourselves that we think will make us feel better, uh, whatever else. There's, a, there's another kind of grumbling that's a little bit more than that in which we just say things for the people around us, sometimes a little under our breath, just enough that they can hear, but it, it gets it out of our system a little bit, and we say it. And then some grumbling is just where we tell everybody and everything exactly what we think, how we feel, what we think is what, and, uh, and we just let it all rip. And so there are different ways in which we can, we can grumble. Uh, but, but the danger is that the complaining can, can just 
uh, cement the resentment in our hearts, and the resentment then can cry out for retaliation, and we can retaliate with words and worse with actions, and, and the whole thing can fall apart, especially among the people of God as he's talking to us as brothers and sisters. Um, uh, it, and, and, and when Israel divided against themselves at one point in their history, uh, the, the nation of Israel divided into two nations, northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah, and they actually started fighting against each other. A picture of what we see even happening today among ourselves. And that was before, just before their fall. After that, uh, God said, I need to uh, take care of this. In James uh, uh, chapter 4, before this, uh, uh, James says, Brother, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. What he's simply mean is God's given us certain uh, 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 commandments, certain laws, certain principles, certain ideas to live by. And if we decide that we're the exception to those, then we're saying that they aren't necessary or they aren't right. Okay? You're judging the law of God by saying my behavior is an exception to what God has said. And by being a judgment on the law of God, that puts yourself under judgment uh, from that law and from God himself. And he says, beware of that. Be careful. Uh, because um, this slandering is divisive, and it's not what God wishes. And then he says this one is kind of dis, dis, uh, detached from the others, but it's an important part of the picture. Well, let me go back to grumbling. I'm sorry. Job. The example he gives of that is Job. Stick to the text, right? See, he gives the example of Job and Job's perseverance. Job wasn't necessarily patient in the same sense the prophet Jeremiah might have been. He was very impatient, but he, but he stuck with the Lord. He didn't give up. And that's a kind of patience. He was persevered. He persevered. You remember the story of Job that at first he lost his family and all of his goods. Uh, and, uh, but the Lord told Satan he couldn't touch his person. And his wife, uh, looking at Job, kind of mourning for all his losses, says, why don't you just curse God and die? And he says, I will not curse God. Uh, God has something in plan here, and I just have to wait and find out what it is. And then Satan came back, and, and, and God said, okay, now you can touch Job. And he gave him an illness, uh, put sores on his body, and the, and the dogs would lick the sores. And, and again, uh, rather than curse God, uh, Job said, I'm going to seek the wisdom of God and find out what this is all about. And so he does. He goes knocking hard on the door of God. And I don't have time to go through 42 chapters of Job. But eventually God comes to him and says, Job, are you God? And Job says, no. And he says, well, then how can you understand all the mysteries of life? And Job says, well, I guess I can't. And that's the short, short version. You have to read it yourselves to get the full version. It's really good. And finally, Job, realizing what he has done, uh, confesses, not that he has sinned, which he hasn't. That wasn't the point. But he confesses, he says, I, I heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my eyes, and I repent in dust and ashes. His repentance was because his understanding who God was was insufficient. His seeking of God had not been enough. And now in all this, he knocked on the door of God in a way he never had. And when he did and God opened the door, he found out about God that he didn't know before. Okay? And so he persevered to the end. And in the end, God blessed him with twice everything he had before. Not as a reward, but... Um, but, but because uh, 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 God is, is compassionate, as it says, and merciful, and, and he doesn't want his people to suffer. But just the same, uh, Job st uh, stuck to the end with God. And that's important because in the present situation, we can give up hope. We can curse God and hope to die. But Job persevered, and God made it right in his life. And we don't always know what that means, what that's going to look like, and Job didn't either. But he stuck in there believing that God had some other answer that he didn't know yet.
We read in, in Romans, in, in, uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, um, verses 18 and 28, two very familiar passages of scriptures, but he says, in one, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's the ultimate glory when God changes us and we, we are like uh, the Lord and we see the Lord face to face, we're made like him and we are resurrected and we have uh, a, a glorious resurrection bodies and live in glorious uh, new Jerusalem, the new heaven and new earth. Um, he's talking about the ultimate but also a little bit later in Romans uh, chapter 8, beginning with verse 28, uh, he says, and we know that all things, this is present circumstances, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So it's not just waiting as we, as we do patiently for, for the return of the Lord and, and the ultimate change in our lives, but, but he's saying that something happens even in the lives we live today, that God works in all those circumstances that we would curse him for and wish to die. He works in those circumstances to do something in our lives and to use us in a certain way in other people's lives that he wouldn't without them. See that? And so, and so then, he, he, then, moving from there, uh, be patient, stand firm, don't grumble. He says, don't swear. And again, as I said before, this one is kind of disjointed, but it works with this. Uh, in James's time, there were two kinds of oaths. There were binding oaths and non-binding oaths. It was kind of a game they played. If you gave a binding oath, you were stuck with whatever you said. Whatever you swore to, whatever you committed to, whatever you said was true, that was it. Because you made a binding oath. Binding oaths include, uh, involved the name of God or something else that symbolized God, like the temple. Non-binding oaths, you could say and, and sound like you were committing, but you really weren't committing and you could get out of them. And so it was kind of game to see if people would catch on to whether it was a binding oath or non-binding oath, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, really not, uh, not very good, but that's what Jesus addressed also in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what James is addressing here. Uh, not swear, but let your yes be yes, your no be no. Um, and so, uh, it, 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 in this, he's, uh, James is saying that, that we, should, we should live and speak with integrity. The very fact that we would need an oath seems to say that our word is normally not trustworthy. So, so you know, just normally what we speak isn't trustworthy. Only what we say with an oath is trustworthy. The rest we don't, we don't, we don't you know, it, it means nothing, Right? And, and, and James is saying that shouldn't be true. Our word should be our word, our yes, yes, our no, no, all the time. We should live with integrity, okay? And that's important when we're going through difficult suffering and things because sometimes we think and do things uh, that are sometimes extreme, and once in a while we, uh, we try to emphasize that. But he's calling us to integrity. Underlying all of this, patience, standing firm, don't grumble, don't swear in the midst of very difficult situations, and they are, there are two things that, that, that uh, uh, James really lifts up. One is the coming of the Lord. He says that over and over as, you re as we read the text. Remember, be patient for the Lord is coming. Don't grumble because the Lord is coming with his, with his judgment. And he, he speaks over and over about that. We, uh, in, in, in James' day, they believed in, uh, truly in the imminent return of the Lord. The Lord was going to come back any moment. We've kind of lost sense of that. We've gotten kind of tied up in the world in which we live. And we kind of live day by day, as, as James said before, saying tomorrow I'll go there and do this, and the next day I'll go there and do this, and we kind of like uh, 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 control our own lives and just make everything work out the way we want it, and we, aren't, we don't really anymore have a sense of the need for uh, the Lord's return or even uh, the gloriousness of that return, and so it's kind of like on the back burner, well, if it happens, it hasn't happened, 
Didn't have my parents, didn't have their grandparents, great grandparents, you know. What are the odds? So we kind of like put on the back burner. So we don't have that sense uh, of, of this imminent return. It's just business as usual. And that doesn't drive us to live a certain way. Furthermore, when the Lord returns, there will be a, a judgment that everybody will, will be part of. And that's important, the, 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 the sense that we will be held accountable. If we can put it off and put it off and put it off, then in a sense we put off accountability. Uh, we're not accountable to anybody, uh, not even ourselves. Maybe in the back of our minds we're accountable to God, but we don't really, we don't really live as if that's true. Well, I think James is saying, and some of the commentators feel to say that James is saying this isn't just about an imminent return, I mean, about a future return of the Lord, but that the Lord comes into our lives every single day. That the coming of the Lord isn't just about when we see him face to face, but it's about the sense that, that the Lord lives in his world all the time. The Lord is present all the time, and the Lord speaks to us in different times in different ways. And that when we're caught in these situations, uh, to be aware not only that ultimately, as Paul said in Romans, uh, everything will be made right, but day by day in the presence of the Lord, as the Lord works in our lives, things are being made right. Uh, and that's, that's important for us uh, to see. And that because God is the God that he is, uh, he is constantly disciplining us. Um, uh, his, his judgment is disciplining us in order for us to learn uh, to be right. Just like any parent who's really concerned about their children, uh, figure out ways of helping children, uh, to discipline children, to, to reinforce good behavior and to discourage bad behavior. Things are going to hurt them or destroy them or hurt other people or destroy other people. And it's a constant thing for, for parents uh, to be working with their children, try to teach them discipline so that they will learn to be disciplined themselves. And the Lord is doing that with us as his children, constantly working in our lives to discipline us all the time. Uh, he's built some things into the system so that some consequences come from certain actions, but also his hand is upon us as well uh, uh, to work, like we were talking about Job. Isaiah 26, uh, 3, uh, the prophet Isaiah promises, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Isaiah is talking about peace within, that we would have an inner peace. He's talking about that inner peace comes from peace with God that comes through Jesus Christ and what he did upon the cross. And through that cross and through the inner peace that he gives to us, peace with other people, not just some people, not just people we choose, but peace with everyone. That's our witness, to be at peace in the world in which we live with all people. That's our witness. That's a big part of it. And that's the peace that Isaiah uh, is, is speaking about, keeping us in perfect peace when we trust in him. And so this calls for us to trust in the Lord. Uh, and, and I know we talk about that all the time. Uh, you know, we, we make a big deal of it. But the bottom line is that we will trust in people that we believe are trustworthy. So somehow we need a vision of who the Lord is, an experience of the Lord that will teach us, demonstrate to us that he is trustworthy so that we will trust him. And I think that's, that's what Job did. That's, uh, that's what Jeremiah accepted in his calling is this sense of who God is in our midst, who he is as the creator, who he is the redeemer, who he is as the one whose hand is upon all of life, including our own. And is he trustworthy? Can we trust him? Can we be patient? Can we let him work? Instead of taking control of everything, instead of being overwhelmed by everything, can we believe that he's in the midst of it and that his hand is upon it? 
And so we, we don't just look to the situation uh, like the farmer and say, no rain, uh, it's over. But we look to the Lord and believe like the rain, the Lord is there and will be in the situation. Not the situation, but the Lord. That we don't put the emphasis upon ourselves and what we're experiencing, the hurt, the pain, or anything else, but of the Lord's greater mission. That God uh, is here and now he has also called us to be part of that greater mission. And who knows what these things in our lives might mean in that greater mission. Who knows, like Job, what experience we might have of God that becomes a witness to other people who see that in us. That it's not just about what's happening to me at this moment. It's about the greater mission that God has called us to, and it's all wrapped up in that. And kin to that is, it's not simply about this moment, but it's about uh, uh, the moments God puts together and, and, and how he's going to lead us down the path uh, to, to make something out of what looks like now could be nothing at all, uh, or even worse. How he can work uh, in our lives and make things right, not necessarily the way we want them to be right, but the way he wants them to be right. What will God do with this situation? What good's he going to bring from the struggling I'm going through? And that does mean we need to trust in uh, a, a God who's worthy of our trust. To seek, and I would encourage you to seek his heart. Seek his heart in worship like this. Don't let it just become a routine. Don't just show up because you feel guilty if you don't. Don't just show up because there are lots of friendly people and you like to talk with them. That's good. I have no problem with that. That's great. But come because you're seeking the heart of the Lord. When you sing the songs, sing them to the Lord as praise. Sing them to the Lord as prayer. Open your heart to the Lord and all that's in there as we pray together uh, to, to, to seek him so he can show himself to you. Um, and, 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 and then as he shows himself to you. Uh, be open to him every day in life, not just in church. Be open to him in the sunrise, the sunset, the song of a beautiful, uh, bird, beautiful song of a bird, in the, maybe the eyes of a child or, or the voice of a loved one or, or just the touch of someone uh, who, who brings uh, some kind of uh, comfort or relief uh, to you. Um, hear the voice of the Lord in, in life every day. Uh, begin your day with praising him. Uh, open your heart to him. Uh, and, and let him show you who he is. He will not break down the door of your heart, but if you will open your heart, he will make it steadfast. He will strengthen it. He will prop it up. He will keep you going. That's, that's important to trust in the Lord who is worthy of that trust. Let us pray.